0: Hi, I'm Trenton Stander. Hi, I'm Tim Brown, and, and this is, is the Open Hearth Cast. Three, two, one. Welcome to episode twenty-six of the Open Hearth Cast. Here with our co-host Tim Brown. How's it going, buddy?
1: Uh, sometimes, maybe. <laughs> uh, not too shabby, I'm just a bit stiff and tired because I was busy forging some tongs today. It's good,
0: it's good, it keeps you fit off the streets and out of trouble. No, no, so much, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You go running in the streets all the time. Yeah, um, someone's got to do it.
1: Somebody's got to do it. You're doing that, uh, challenge the David Goggins challenge or something like that yeah so when this episode comes out it would have been fast so I might not be with you
0: anymore
1: it's the 4 by 4 by 48 so it's run 4 miles every 4 hours for 48 hours so it's, it doesn't sound like a lot because 4 miles is about 40 45 minutes running but then it's every 4 hours you got to do the game
0: that's You asked me if I wanted to join,
1: and I was like, no. No, you did say yes, but you didn't know know what you were saying yes to. I I didn't know what I was saying yes to because (laughs) you were being very ambiguous about it. Yeah, because (laughs) I wanted you (laughs) to say yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When I heard about it, I was like, no ways.
1: It's crazy, though. Mm -hmm. That's that's a different kind of But yeah, He was on on Instagram a couple of days ago describing it, and he's laid out the plan because it's supposed to all start – Eight o'clock Pacific Standard Time in America. And I'm not gonna start then because it's like two o'clock in the morning here. So I'll start I think I'm gonna start eight o'clock or six o'clock. I'm not sure. Or four o'clock. I don't know. I haven't got there yet. Yes. The, the, the big thing is that, you know, the first 12 hours or 16, eight, uh, 20 hours is sort of okay, but then sleep deprivation starts to come in. Yeah. Because you're not, you can't go and sleep for six or seven hours. You can sleep for most like two and a half hours. Yeah. 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 So I think I'm going to be living in the garage for 48 hours. Yeah. I think the wife will kill me. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to bring the treadmill in here because... This is Benoni after all Yes It is Benoni So running around at What's it? 12 o'clock at night Might not be the best idea Not the best idea Certainly not Um,
0: Especially in Benoni It's it's never a great idea (laughs) But um, Yeah It's a I don't know That's a different kind of resolve To have To to accomplish
1: something like that Because it's It's tough man Yeah it's tough tough. I don't know how tough it's going to be, but yeah. we'll figure it out as it go along. Yeah. If I die, I'm not giving you anything. I would say I would mes- message you at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I just Don't <laughs> worry, I'm going to be phoning you every time I go out for a run. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Okay, fine, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do
0: that. I'll do that. Oh, uh, shit. But, um, man, I don't know. I don't know. I was just like, <coughs> fuck that shit.
1: Because no, I when I went down to D over New Year's I ran a, a twenty one and twenty one K, so that's a half marathon. I did it like two hours fifteen, which is like half an hour faster than what I the yeah. last time I timed myself. <laughs> Jesus. But I this last month and a half I hadn't been running what I was supposed to be running, so Lack of motivation.
0: Yeah, well, motivation. Well, not is motivation,
1: a, a discipline.
0: Yeah, lack of discipline is the right word. Because motivation is a very temporary thing, and we're always looking for it to come, but it never comes. Yeah, you know, or very seldom comes. You know, looking yeah. for inspiration. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta like if you're, if you're just doing things, and sometimes they're good, sometimes they're shit, but you just gotta keep doing it. No matter, you can't wait for inspiration to hit. You can't wait for things to get better so that you can do better. You've got to start taking control and saying, okay, I've got to learn how to do things better in my circumstances. I've got to get up early to achieve the things that I need to achieve for the day. If your goal is to have your own business and be a, a successful businessman in that regard, there's lots to it. But mm. one of the things is just being consistent mm. and showing up when you don't want to show up.
1: Yeah, because if you're going to wait for motivation and inspiration, you're going to die waiting. Yes. yes. So, yeah, we, we're preaching mm. gospel here, but we very bad yeah. fucking practitioners. We're very
0: on. bad practices of the dating. But I think as long as you're conscious of it, like as mm. long as you're conscious of constantly needing to mm. improve, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter who you are. You, mm. Everybody can improve, and it mm. doesn't mean that where you are right now is not good enough. It mm. means you are who you are right now. You're the person who's also learned to be the person that you are through experiences, through uh, shitty things that have happened to you, good things that have happened to you. All of these things affect us. And sometimes we live our lives in a way that is not really a smooth running machine mm. because we've got all this bullshit that we're hanging on to. Mm. And if you can let go of some of it, it makes it all a little bit lighter.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I was going to say something, but then the squirrels came and captured it. <laughs> Get a shotgun, was Those <laughs> fucking squirrel. There's too many of the fuckers running around in my head.
0: But your your brain works very fast, and then I think you forget what you wanted to say.
1: Yeah, because
0: you go down a hole.
1: Yeah, it, it's. I think my brain works like a woman sometimes. It's fucking all over the place. Just you do. <laughs> no comment. Um, but so, sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's a curse because mm. it doesn't switch off. Mm. Mm. So I've been. On and off doing that mindfulness meditation with that Sam Harris, uh, uh, waking up. Right.
0: And it's interesting (laughs) because
1: the purpose of meditation is not to silence the mind. No. It's to observe. Yes. To become an observer. And then you can get very philosophical. It's like, am I inside my body or am I inside my brain, my consciousness, or is it outside? Hmm. It's interesting things to contemplate in mm-hmm. English. English. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's, I don't know, like to me, there's, like there's so many things that are in this life. And some things need to be done a certain way to achieve the best results mm. and one of those things is also like you know it's it's it's, it's the simple things and everybody knows this could be healthy you know mm. and, and take care of your mind take care of your, your your soul or your spirit or your your, your body your, your your inner self or whatever you want to call it take care yeah. of all of that stuff and things automatically once you start and not to say that these things are easy to do a lot of them are difficult to do. If you're taking care of your body, you're eating right, you you you're not maybe drinking as much as you used to. You most certainly drinking more water. You exercising. All those things. Those things are difficult to do, but they're beneficial for you. Mm. And it's and it's and it's finding. We talk about this a lot, but it's finding meaning in the suck. Right? Mm. Like in the moment, it sucks when you're gymming or when you're jogging Mm. like miles and miles and miles. It's like your body doesn't want to do it, Mm. but your head's saying, We're doing
1: it, motherfucker.
0: That's what's happening right now. You
1: know, the route that I normally run here, so there's various variations of it. So I've got a standard route where I I run when I can do anywhere from like, five kilometers up to fifteen to twenty kilometers, depending on, on how I go. So I normally start out in the first two case suck.
0: Mm.
1: They suck balls. Mm. And then it's like, okay, well I'm gonna do the six point four leap. Okay. And then I get you know, if three kilometers, mm. no, I'm gonna do the seven point two. Now I'm gonna do the eight and mm. a half and then I'm gonna no, I'm gonna do the ten or the twelve or the mm. depending on time obviously as well. Yes. But it's a, for me it, like if my mental state is good, then it's easy to run. Mm. But when it's not good then it's difficult. It's mm. like why bother? Yeah. So And that's where the discipline comes in. Yeah that's where the discipline is because if you do the if you do the hard draft then you feel better afterwards. And if you don't run, then you feel shit. Yes. and then you punish yourself and that little come yes. in the back of your head starts taking over yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know and, I, mm-hmm. and And that's the thing as well is that that's, that's what I say to my friends as well is that I don't like jumping. I don't like it when it's hard. You know, nobody does. I don't like feeling the pain the next day but when I do feel it the next day there's another thing about that pain. Mm. It's like you worked hard. Mm. You, you did what you set out to do. It sucks that you're hurting now, but it means you're growing. And there's evidence of that. And then when you keep doing that over mm. and over, and you do it for a long time, you're feeling good about yourself, and then something happens, you get thrown out of a routine, and then you stop doing it. And you can feel the effects immediately. Yeah. You've got no more ammunition against that little voice in, mm. in, in your head that tells you that, you
1: that you're a piece of shit. It's that, as David Goggins says, it's hardening your mind. Yes. So there's a constant battle of that voice in the mm-hmm. back of your head, which is telling you, you you're useless. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I agree. And yeah, I think the meditation helps as well because, you know, having anxiety and depression, there's times where I will have. I call it a panic attack or anxiety attack. Yeah. But it's not like the what maybe other people would call it, but it's that over- overwhelming, flippant anxiety, and it goes on for hours and hours. Yeah. And then I, then I do what I know I should do, and then it was the last time I had it. I went and I put Sam Harris on, and I sat in the chair for like, I think I did, 20 minutes or whatever, and then that sort of just takes the edge off. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, it makes me feel more confident in myself when I'm doing things to improve myself. Yeah. Because I feel like, I'm like, I know I'm not fucking perfect, Mm. but I'm trying to be a better version of myself. Mm. Not only for me, but for people around me. Like, I want to be a nice person. I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be known as a cut.
1: you know? Yeah, good luck with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's going to be people who don't like you, yeah. and that's, that's just a fact.
1: But that's their problem. Yeah, you know,
0: but that's their problem. Mm. But I, I want to know in my heart when I'm, when I'm around people that I'm a nice guy, mm. you know? And sometimes I fail doing that. I don't, I don't always get it right. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I have been a bit of an asshole to people. And that's, it's always something that I regret. There's certain mm-hmm. people that I, I'm i glad I told to fuck off, you know.
1: But that's because they were But assholes. that's
0: because they were assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know what the point to
1: that was. It was a bit of a rant, really. But. Um, no, but there's times to be a nice guy. And there's a time, it comes down to boundaries. So, yeah. It's all good and well trying to please everybody, which is not the right thing, but you should be firm on your boundaries, and if, you, yeah. if you're if loose on your boundaries, which is one of my problems, then then you just open yourself up for a world of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm stuck doing a podcast with a dickhead. Oh, sorry. It <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to get a dig in live. No,
0: you have to get a dig in every now and then, eh? I mean, when you want one foot in the grave, you want to yeah. dig somebody else's grave,
1: too. Yeah. yeah, I said to my wife, I want to be cremated. She made an appointment for next week, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> must be doing well, something well, right. You must be doing something <laughs> right, bro. Uh
0: Jesus, what right. a
1: crazy time. It's a crazy time. Yeah. I,
0: I wanted to ask you something, though, know, a little bit. It's a little bit unrelated to the topic of what we were talking about earlier. We don't though. have a topic. Right. Right. We're just winging it here, guys. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mm. So I don't know how Right this is, but I heard that you could
1: use ash as a Insulator for your steel when you're forging. Yes. Can you? Yes, if you look Over there next to the forge Mm. is a old metal um, oil can with But it has to be dry not barbecue ash or it's got to be dry ash yeah, ash, yeah. ash, yeah. ash. Yeah. <laughs> that's ash works as a good insulator. Mm. Mm. Okay. So if you so does it
0: have to be fine ash?
1: Mm. Preferably fine ash, because if there's charcoal in there, you put off a piece of hot steel, and yeah, you the, might make a fire. You might make a fire. That's mm. that's the thing. Yeah. But it, it works well. I mean, that's what the old smiths used to use. Mm. And uh, so that's when you when you so
0: you don't need. Uh, uh, what's the other stuff then? Perlite or
1: vermiculite. Vermiculite. Yeah, you don't need it now. No. So if
0: you just give enough ash, bucket full mm. of it, it's not going to co- make it an ember because it's
1: just ash. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So what if do you, you do?
0: Like filter it through a,
1: a, a mesh? No, I take it out the bri and no. I put it in the thing. And I, like sort of take the big lumps out. Okay. It's like when you throw up, you chew the lumps and swallow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are gross. Man. You are gross. No, now you're just normal ash, because when you, we, I've been doing a bit more. I wouldn't call it research, but looking up stuff, and I found that knife Nerd steel guy, yes, uh, who wrote the knife engineering, and he's got some very good videos explaining why you're supposed to do some things and where they're beneficial and where they're not. This is on YouTube on YouTube, but he's also, he wrote the book and he's got a website now after that still. Hmm. Um, I'm aware of his website. Yeah, so I want to get the book sometime, you know, when I get those lucky six numbers for the lottery. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. Uh, I was only six numbers out last weekend, but uh, good thing I didn't buy a ticket then. (laughs) But uh, when you, so if you forge a blade and then you normalize it. Yes. Uh, you normally normalize it like three times, sure. lowering the temperature each time. Yeah. And it's, that's more for grain refinement. But also what it does is the carbides dissolve into the grains. So they're no longer sitting on the edges of the grain. They dissolve into the grains. Okay. Um, which when you're hardening out of a forge is very beneficial because then you don't need the soak time. Because the purpose of the soak time is to get the carbides to dissolve into solution. Yes. So if you're hiding out of a forge, it's beneficial to normalise and not anneal. Because when you anneal, then the carbides form carbides again on the edges of the grain boundary. boundary. It becomes very, very complicated, but it's fascinating. It is fascinating. there was a guy on on Facebook who uh, posted a thing, I think you might have seen it, uh, where he, he had a crack in his blade and he went through his heat treatment cycle and I said to him, you're doing it wrong because he, um, this comes down to cryogenics or sub-zero quench or whatever. Yeah. and what he was doing is... Uh, quenching, then tempering first and then uh, sub-zero and then another temper. And after watching Steel's video on cryo, the whole point of doing sub-zero is that when you harden something, you you get martensite. That's the hard steel. Austenite is the soft stuff. Austenite is what happens. That's... When you are at
0: austenizing temperature.
1: To austenizing temperature. So it goes to austenite and then you quench it and it changes to martensite. But what happens with the more complex the steel is, you start getting retained austenite. And there's a curve uh, of complete transformation to, uh, or from partial uh, martensite formation to complete or 99% whatever. And Depending on your what temperature you austenize at, and how much carbon you have in solution, um, you get retained austenite. And if you at higher temperatures, you get more retained austenite. And if you don't get it to sub-zero as soon as possible, then that austenite stabilizes mm. in that matrix, and then your blade isn't as hard as what it can be. Wow. So, if you do a temper first, there's no point, there's virtually no point of doing sub-zero. The sub-zero quenching. Because, so you, because the austenite's already stabilized in the matrix. Okay. There is a, he did a very good uh, video on it because he, he took, um, I think it was AEBL. Yeah. AELB or AEBL, whatever, stainless it. steel. And he does everything scientifically, so... He does more than one sample. He does his different tests, so he'll do different austenizing temperatures. He will do uh, all the same quench, and then he did freezer, which was minus 17 or minus 20 or whatever, and he did uh, dry ice in isopropyl alcohol, and he did liquid nitrogen. And then he compared them from the hardness, and he's also got an impact test to say test the toughness of the steel as well. And then he explains what is actually happening and why it happens that way. Um, So, for instance, if your austenizing temperature is higher, and you quench it, and you go to a, and you do a freezer, just a normal freezer cryo, your hardness actually starts to go down because of the amount of retained austenite, because you're um, austenizing at a temperature.
0: So I have a question for you. If you take a blade and you normalize it, do all that shit, and then you heat treat it, and then you, and not the whole process, you don't temper it yet, you just harden the blade, and then you let it come to room temperature and then put it in, say, a freezer, hmm. okay? First of all, is that how you would do it and then temper it after Yeah, the temper fat? afterwards, yeah. Okay. And then um, how much improvement can you get out of sticking it in a freezer overnight? Or what's the what's the time period? When is the conversion what's what's it's the time normally
1: frame? he says normally about an hour? An hour. At least an hour, yeah. Look, if you put it in a freezer, the problem is the the steel takes a while to get to the temperature mm. Mm. because it's of the heat the way the heat is strong, or the heat is transferred, yeah. If you put it in just straight dry ice without a liquid, it's still gonna take a while to get to temperature. Mm. Whereas if you put it in a liquid like dry ice with ice probable alcohol and you use the alcohol because the alcohol won't freeze, um, then the cooling happens at a much faster rate. The same with liquid nitrogen. and you put it in the cooling takes at a much faster rate. Okay. And once you get to a specific temperature, then as as much of the retained austenite for that temperature will be transformed to mart- martensite. Okay. So it doesn't help. If you put it in for 10 hours, it's not going to make much of it, or the, the measurable difference will be so small that it's... Mm. Unless you do like a thousand samples. Sure. Um, But for the majority, as long as it's got down to the temperature of the thing you're using for the dryer. Okay. Because
0: that's another thing that I'm thinking about because I tried that with this blade that sand blade that cracked. Mm. So what I did is I heat treated, I I normalised it, did all those cycles and then... You um, quenched it? I quenched it, and I don't know... I don't remember seeing any cracks when I quenched it. Mm. I don't remember seeing any cracks. And, uh, yeah, when I took it out of the freezer, I, I looked at it and I thought it was fine, and then I saw these cracks and I was like, what is going on here?
1: Look... And I don't know if that could have... It could have been from the freezer, but yeah. you must remember it's a, it's a thermal shock. Mm. Thermal shock, same as quenching, mm. um, because you're trying to get a harder steel. Mm. So there is a risk of cracking it. Okay. So that risk is just, just there? The risk is there. Okay. But if you want better performance, you want a harder blade.
0: Mm. 'Cause I had blades in there that I had a ten ninety five lion knife in there that mm-hmm.
1: didn't that
0: didn't break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's not like the the sandmite delaminated. It, 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 it
1: broke across the layers. Mm-hmm. You must also remember that what what was the sandmai? The sandmai was fifteen and twenty and ten ninety five. Okay. So now because you've got two different steels. The thermal expansion from them is probably different. Okay. There's, there will be a difference in the thermal expansion. So now because you going, you've done a oil quench, mm. which really made it hard, now you're going to a sub-zero, it's going to put more strain on it. Mm. But it's a, it's a risk.
0: Mm.
1: It's always a risk. But if you want the most performance, then that's why you do it. Then that's why you do it. Yeah. So, like for a, a normal carbon steel, the benefits aren't huge. Stainless steel, or the more complex the steel, the better the the better result, or more improvement you get with sub-zero. Mm. Um, so, like on N690, you can. With uh, liquid nitrogen, you can get probably an extra two point five mm-hmm. HLC rock hardness. Mm-hmm. Um, with dry ice, you probably get like one and a half, and with a freeze, you might get about one. Which doesn't sound like much, but it's the hardness scale is, as I think, it's not linear. Oh. In terms of, it's like one rockwell hardness is like on say sixty is not like 1%. Mm. It's bigger than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's worth doing it. Yes. Especially on stainless steels. 52-100 mm. um, is also, it's a complex steel. But there's
0: some steels that <clears throat> just benefit more from cryo or sub-zero quenching than other steels. Yeah. Other big- steels just... It's minuscule. I think it's beneficial to all steel, mm. but not. But like, there's others that benefit way more from it. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, like on carbon carbon steel knives. If it's say a a hunter or bushcrafter, yeah, it doesn't need to be sixty Rockwell. Yeah, no, fifty-five um, is more than adequate. Yeah, between fifty-five yeah. and sixty is good enough. And if you're using a simpler carbon steel, say 10, 85, to 95, then it's not really... Because you must remember when you go to a higher hardness cryo, you also reduce toughness.
0: Mm.
1: So, like on a kitchen knife, on a chef's knife, you want the harder steel. Yeah, yeah. Because you want the better edge retention, yes, and the better performance from the steel, sure. Um, because it's not going to be in a high shock environment, yes. But you know, bushcrafting or hunting or yes. choppers, more utilitarian yeah. type yeah. maps. Look, they can still benefit from cryo, yes. Um, but then you would you would be tempering it to a lower hardness. So yes. instead of say sixty you would be, say, 60 to 62 Rockwell, you'd be looking at, like, 55 to 58.
0: Yeah. So the question becomes, is it worth doing on, say, a unless it
1: is a, a steel that really benefits from prior... Yeah. So, um, so um, if, you, if you look at, like, a competition cutter, yeah. it's a high-performance blade. Yes. You obviously want hardness and toughness. Yes. So... There was that one guy who was on a Knife Talk podcast who makes his own competition. He's a world champion competition cutter, but he uses S3V or whatever, which is a s 3 stain- S3V. No, S3. S3V. Yeah. It's like a stainless, semi-stainless, I don't know, but it's, yeah. it's got vanadium and stuff, and so it's a high-performance steel, and he uses cryo. Yeah. Um, but he tempers it to the right toughness but it gives better edge retention and wear resistance and that type of stuff but also you know it's not just the steel it's the geometry yes Yes. so he's got very specific angles he does the bevels at he takes the edge down to a specific thickness yeah um, so that because he knows from the tests what he can get out of that steel yes So say you use 5160, you're probably not going to get the same edge performance on the same thickness as the S3V or whatever he uses because it's a more complex, higher performing steel. Yes. But for your average, you know, chopper that you take out camping or whatever, 5160 is more than good enough. Yes, yes. Because you're not... You're not competing against the world best to make a campfire. Yes, not sure.
0: <laughs> it's, more, it's more, than adequate. Um, but what, fifty two, one hundred is a steel that I'm wanting to work with sometime mm-hmm. in the future, um, mm-hmm. and I do want to forge it so that I can, I can feel how tough it is. Uh,
1: <coughs> I think if I speak under correction, but having spoken to Jack and Stuart. The Saber and Silver Steel is harder to forge than 52100. Silver Steel is yeah. harder to forge than 52100. That's what I've heard. Okay. I don't have experience with uh, Saber and Silver Steel because I forged Silver Steel.
0: Yeah. And that was pretty tough. Yeah. Like I had the carbon steel blade in the forge at this, at the same time, like just a f- uh, 5160 um, mm. blade in there, and then I had the Silver Steel in. Yeah. And man, the silver steel wasn't moving. And when I
1: went over to the 5160, it felt like butter. Mm. It's just like... It's the same. It's like... Huge difference. For me, if you compare 52100 to 5160, it's like comparing 5160 to mild steel. Yeah. The jump is about that much. Yeah. And I've forged quite a bit of um, 52100, but by... On power. By arm power. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, if, like when Jacques was still here, I would take a, a big piece of 52 100 <coughs> to him and uh, make a billet out of uh, with a power hammer. Mm. Or now I go to Grant because Grant's got Jacques' power hammer and yeah. the press. So okay. use that to get it into a usable billet. So say, Forty to fifty wide and like eight more thick, ten more thick. Yeah, because then from there, I've now got a billet of material to use. Mm. So then to forge a knife out of that, it's still hard work, but it's not, you know, taking a forty diameter roller bearing and trying to forge it flat. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure,
0: makes sense. Yeah, dude, it's uh, the the more and more that I'm forging, I'm I'm feeling. more inspired to keep forging, mm. and um, it's a very nice thing to be able to do, even if you're not great at it. Mm. You, it's just nice to, you know, you get some frustration out of you. Your body feels looser afterwards. You know, mm. it's hard fucking graft,
1: but yeah. it's good for your mind. You know, to me, you know, forging is more like you buy a piece of steel. Mm. Say it's 5160. Mm. Not expensive. But after you cut it up, the time it takes you to cut it up and you see all these pieces of good steel lying on the floor. And that just grates my carrot. Mm. That's why I don't like stock removal. Mm. Because I see all that good quality steel that people like lots of people have put effort into making that steel. Mm. And it's going to end up in a scrap bucket and it's going to go to the scrap dealer and he's going to Send it to someone, they're going to turn it to your fucking rebar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's hardenable good steel. Yeah. And, um yeah, you don't ideally, look, there, there's always going to be some loss. Mm. You know, there's always going to be some loss in material, even mm. after forging, especially if you're me, you haven't forged to beautiful edges or anything. Mm. You're going to do some profiling
1: at some point. Yeah. You know. I still do profiling. Um, yeah.
0: But so the thing is you, you, you're losing a lot less material, and that's what I'm liking about it too, mm. is that you can forge the, the corner down into the belly and get mm. get the breadth that you need, and, and and you get a good sense for calculating how much you need to get this breadth of a blade, that length of the blade, that mm. much of a handle, and you get a feel for it pretty quick.
1: I mean, I remember when I first started forging tongs, I took – graph paper, mm. and then I worked out by volume how much steel you need to make the jewels of a tongue. Because mm. like, you watch on YouTube and they talk in millimetres or inches and it's like, okay, but that's for that tons. what happens if I want to do this? Because I was looking at costing it. Mm. So how much steel goes into a pair of and what do you need to start with. Because look, you can always cut off. Mm. It's very difficult to add on mm. Mm. and then you try and, st- if you don't have enough material, then you try and stretch it and it goes a bit thin and then it's not as strong and then it's mm. just a fucker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can't do that.
0: Yeah. You need to have a, an understanding of how much material you need to forge a, a certain length mm. handle or you know, mm. or, or tongue handle, or whatever it may be that you're mm. forging. Um, and that's the difficult part. And the first time I started really getting into it, I was like, Jeez, how much do I need here? And then I cut it up like this long piece. And then the handle was like this long. And the blade was like, you know, mm. the handle was like 100 long. And I was like, oh, flip sakes, man, what's going on?
1: Yeah, well, Isaac, there is some benefit to starting with more material. Mm. But then you must take, take like a lot more. Yeah, yeah. So what I like to do... Normally, it, that's why I like forging on a round stock. Mm-hmm. Because it's more work, but literally you're working at, you know, two inches at a time. Mm-hmm. So you take like... it a, flattens pretty quick. Yeah. Unless it's silver steel. Yeah, no I <laughs> So like, that's why I like, for smaller knives, I like using round bar because yeah. you forge a section flat you form a tip mm. and then you forge it flat back until you've got enough for the blade you want mm. and then you start your handle section mm. and then you just cut that piece off at the end mm. and you've still got a long piece of round ball. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, that's why the you know, 5160 that we get is in a 60 wide piece so if you're making a smaller knife like a 30 millimeter wide knife unless you cut it in half which is just a ball like to forge it down is even more of a ball ache.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. Um, so yeah, that's why I prefer round bar for for that. And besides, I've got like out the back. I've probably got about thirty meters of 5160 round bar. Thirty meters. Yeah. Holy shit. That's a rough guess. Might be more. Almost
0: impossible. <laughs>
1: We can talk business. <laughs> we can talk business.
0: <laughs> yeah, but that that stuff is useful, man. Is it 18 mm
1: No, it's between 14 and 17 millimeters.
0: 14 and 17.
1: Yeah, because the, the guy I got it from, he used to have a factory that made springs, Oh, okay. automated, so coil springs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, so he had a whole lot of offcuts, and I bought a shit ton from him. Genius. And then I've sold some, used some.
0: Mm.
1: I made some tongs out of them. Wow, uh, and nice tongs, but don't quench them in water. Yeah, don't quench them in water. <laughs> They're <oven> right there. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's one of the reasons why I normally use mild steel for my tongs.
0: Yeah,
1: because of the constant quenching. You can go up to EN8, which is a 1043 uh, plain carbon. Mm. But I don't see the point. Yeah. Because, look, if you're forging bigger stuff and you want stronger tongs, then yes. Yes, yeah. But, I mean, for knives, mild steel is good enough.
0: It is good enough. I mean, those tongs that we made together yeah. I, that I'm using, I mean, I love them. Mm-hmm. I love them. I need more because when I'm forging round stock, it's now a little bit difficult at this mm-hmm. point. I'm, I, forward, I, I hit the handle down mm-hmm. so that I can... Mm. But, yeah, I ultimately need some with, with square leaves. Cultural, either. or something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. So, but I'll get there, yeah. Um But it's going good, man. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm thinking of <clears throat> taking on, like, one big project, and if it takes me a month, if it takes me two months, it takes me two months, you know? Yeah
1: taking on one big project and getting it right, getting it just perfect. Yeah, so I've got here on the table that actually that I, mm. I forged probably 2017, if I have to guess. Is that a moment? No, it's 5160. Oh. So I forged it probably 2017, 2018. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I only hardened it when we did that sword challenge. Oh, yeah. Because then I had a quench tank big enough for it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then I ground it and I've done some hand sanding, but now I've got to do. I stopped because I didn't know how I was going to do the guard, whether I'm going to do it traditional or mm-hmm. what. Yeah. What, what. But what? now I'm more convinced to do it like. Traditional with the mm. little piece in the front whatever that's called and to the end. Yeah, but the handle I'm not gonna do a takedown with a tapered pin or something. Mm. Mm. I'll see what I'm gonna do on the handle. <coughs>
0: yeah. That's that's something to do right because they, they have it all hold, held together by that one bamboo pin.
1: Uh, it's the bamboo pin and
0: then the wrap. Yes, the wrap as well. Of the wrap
1: the wraps mainly the to keep it, because that's normally two halves on the handle. Yeah, so that's uh, that's that's um, stingray skin. No, they put a stingray skin underneath it, but it's uh, it, yeah. it's like a flat shoelace. But I think it's like some silk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but they
0: put stingray skin underneath it. That's yeah. the two components. Of, well, obviously there's three components. There's the wood. wood. Uh, what wood do they use traditionally?
1: I don't know. Okay. Anyway, it won't be African blackwood. No,
0: <laughs> most certainly
1: not. <laughs> but no. also the, the so the way I understand it is you've got a you've got your two halves, and then there's like a cap in the front behind the tuba, mm. and there's a cap at the back. Mm-hmm. Now the tap, cap at the front obviously slides over the guard, yes, yes. Uh, over the over tank, the tank no? but the cap at the back doesn't have tank to sit on. Yes. So it fits, wood, it fits over the wood and then back. the wrap holds it forward. So the caps hold it wood together and the wrap holds it, that cap on yes. at the back and it provides... Because they wrap grip it
0: through the...
1: Yeah. The so the they start at the hilt and then yes. they work their way back to the pommel and then yes. they wrap it through and tie their funny knots. Yes, yes. I haven't worked out how I'm going to get 11 fingers on each hand to do that yet. Damn, it's, it's intricate, man. Mm. It's intricate. That's yeah. why, you know, people think... Uh, make a samurai sword. Yeah. Um, in Japan, you've got a guy that forges a blade. Yeah. And he, yeah. and I, I, think he might grind it.
0: Not necessarily. I've seen I've seen videos where the guy just makes the blade. So he forges it and he grinds it, he, and then and, and he hardens it, and then he take he, he sent off to some other guy and he grinds the blade then there's a master polisher yeah. and then there's the guy who like puts it all together and
1: no so there's a, there's the, know. Yeah, there's a guy that does the polishing yeah. then there's the guy that makes the tuba and the front the like brass people yeah. then there's another guy who does the handle and then there's a separate guy completely who makes the sire the sheath oh, shit. Yeah. because um, I was chatting to Tian Berger yeah, and the process they use to lacquer that handle or the, the, the sheath yeah. is like a—it's a complicated process Just to get that you know, mirror yeah, super flat, no divots or yeah. ripples or. That's amazing. That's, that's why they, each each person in the process is a master of what they do. Yes, yes. So, like the guy that engraves the bra- the, the, the the blade, yeah, he's a master. Yeah. So The blade's got like a across trades, different masters. Yeah, but the, on the blade, the engraving says this was forged by Pete piece and someone did the polishing and someone. Each piece gets signed, basically. Yes.
0: yes. Um, but yeah. Okay. I thought only the the the, the actual maker put his mark on the. But the thing is, there's so many makers.
1: So how can they? No, the, the 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 blade, I think, is normally marked by by the guy who makes the blade. Okay,
0: on the yeah. inside of the handle.
1: It depends. Sometimes they put it on the blade itself. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. But then, like the the accoutrements for the handle are signed by the guy who does the accoutrements. For the okay. okay. Wow. But, That's yeah. amazing. It's interesting that. Um, you know that the European swords, mm. unless it was like King Henry V's fucking sword, they weren't. You know it was a consumable. Yeah, uh, that's why they don't have as many good examples. Whereas in Japan, you know, swords were handed down. Mm. Look, the handle and the guard might have been different, but the blades were handed down and looked after and wrapped up nicely mm. and stored in the roof and very so respected. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it was like a a symbol of something to them.
1: Yeah, it
0: was it was very religious in how they viewed being warriors and being mm. a samurai. It was very almost religious in its discipline. And mm. It's crazy. It's crazy. But they, the, I always say the Japanese are like the elves of Middle Earth. Yeah. Like they. They are just a different kind of race. Where you mm. you watch them make these calligraphy brushes. Bro. Mm. Dude, it, they go for big money. But mm. the time that goes into that brushing these mm. fibers out from this mm. goat hair or some shit, mm. and they're combing these things out, and they get them all just perfect, And they grade them. And, and they grade them, and it's like,
1: but if you look at the Japanese culture, everything they do is art. Yes. So to say. Yes.
0: The tea ceremonies. Mm. The tea ceremonies are like so perfectly every movement is perfect mm. and purposeful. Mm. It it's it's such an incredible thing to see and it's a big part of their culture. Mm. when they make teapots You see Mm. those guys, the Japanese guys, making teapots. The precision is Mm. unreal.
1: Mm. It's crazy. I think, to a large part, like industrialization and, I wouldn't say capitalism, but industrialization has destroyed a lot of those traditions, (coughs) more on the western side than on the eastern side. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's one knife maker in Japan, somehow I started, you started, we became friends or whatever. We haven't never spoken, but through sharing stuff on groups or whatever. Mm. And I watched this guy and he, he makes his own steel sometimes to or whatever, or he buys it from guys that make it and he processes it. and He does a lot of, um, kitchen knives, but then he also, I've seen that he does, um, horses <clears throat> mm. so guys will come in and they'll do a knife making experience. Yeah, um, but like the, the traditional Japanese way of making a knife. Yeah. Um. So it's like they put a soul into the blade, almost. Yes. Yes.
0: No, they very Spirited. much do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they very much do. It's. I don't know. They're just different, man. They're different people.
1: What is the, Yoshida? is is. Um, Way of the Warrior it's, it's a it's a way of life almost. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly I think that's what it is. So we could be speaking out of our arsees, yeah. but But I think it's I think it's Bushido. I'm not I'm hundred percent sure. But
0: the but uh Miyamoto you know, wrote a lot of stuff about the ways of the Bronan and the ways mm. of the
1: samurai because yeah, he was a he was a samurai, then his master died or whatever. And yeah. He just went on his own way.
0: Yeah, he became a Roman. Yeah. And, um, and he talks about, you know, all the different weapons that, that samurais need to be well-versed in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the art of using the sword and, and things like that. And it's very... No, no. I would say very philosophical
1: in some senses because yeah. he's very… Uh, he is seen in, in a lot of circles as being a philosopher.
0: Yeah. He's, he's very interesting the way he talks about certain things and how to live your life. and Because yeah. um, he did like, what was it, six, I think he did like 60 duels to the dead. And then
1: decided, no,
0: he's going to do it. Yeah, he
1: was was rated as having one of the highest success rates in duels. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it came from discipline. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the block, there's a lot of videos where the people, Mm. they practice different cuts, but the main one they do is, you know, practicing the cuts from the sheath. Mm. Yes. Because if you unless you like you know slap a guy across the face with a glove like the East western style mm-hmm. and you're going to meet at 6 for a duel or whatever a lot of the times the sword only comes out when it's time yes uh, I think it's a different approach to life almost.
0: I heard something and I haven't done any research on it quite yet so I've been meaning to but I heard something and I didn't like I liked the idea of that being the fact But I didn't know it to be the fact and it sounded Sounded iffy to me mm-hmm. And somebody said that uh, They said this is what they said, they said the, the, the GURPIs and, and the uh, the Japanese were similar in the sense that uh, when they drew their, their weapons, they had to draw blood That I think is an shift. And I was like, and 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 they went as far as to say that you know that if they would they would draw the sword, and if like like a a, a, a samurai would like like sort of draw his sword a little bit while it's still in the sheath but the blade's exposed, and if the danger passes or some shit, then he presses his thumb into the blade to. And I, I'm like, isn't that from the the forty six Ronan or the forty seven Ronan where they all signed the fucking yeah. thing? But I'm like, that's not true. That's
1: I don't know if it is true. That's the thing. Well, if I it don't was, know if it was true. Okay, then every time the guy took his sword out to practice, he'd have to cut his thumb. Yes. And that just doesn't make practical sense. Well, you want to use your
0: thumb like you, you've, you're fighting. You don't want to be bleeding and in pain and blood's sticky as well. And if yeah, you're it's bleeding all... on your handle, yeah. yeah, I don't know how
1: well it's going to work. And I mean, if it's if you you must remember that most samurai swords were carbon steel. If you yeah. leave the blood on there, it's going to tarnish the blade. Yes. So, I don't know. And they
0: were like, oh, the Gurk- Gurkhas did it too. They would cut themselves if they didn't, if, the, if the their weapon didn't draw blood. And I'm like, oh. uh, that sounds like
1: movie shit to me. Yeah, that's yeah, Hollywood. That's Hollywood.
0: I don't, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I've never
1: heard that before. I need to be persuaded by scientific fact first. Yes, yes. No, no, I, I... Not... Myth hearsays and, and guys
0: saying, Yeah, my, my father was in the <laughs> what what war, and uh, this Japanese guy told him that that was the truth.
1: Well, it's the same as when a friend of mine from Varsity, when he was in high school, they went to America as a school trip, yeah. and they did their best to convince people that they fucking walk around with lions in the streets, and the people believed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the thing you do to fuck with people. Yeah, sure.
0: I don't know, there's people out there who get like they they think that what movies say are fact. You know? They think because it's in a movie that it's accurate.
1: Yeah, it's no movies accurate. movies are not accurate at all. Huh. Like if you read a book and then you watch the movie. Yeah. No, it's all the same thing.
0: If you if you look at the the uh, a classic movie scene, where <laughs> the broken sword in Lord of the Ring, the 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 uh, ring that cut the, the the sword that cut the ring from Sauron's hand in the yeah. beginning, that sword was broken by Sauron. Okay. And uh, then they forge it back together to give to Aragorn so he can go and Drop get off. this ghost army. To to come and pledge their allegiance to him and what 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 this magical sword. So they it shows you the video the the footage of them forging this blade back together. And they heat they heat this piece up and they heat this piece up and they put them like this together where the crack was. Yeah. And they they start hitting there. I'm like, oh, that's not that's gonna, that's not gonna it's work. It's
1: like in uh, Game of Thrones where they cast that Valyrian seal sword. That's mm. like, no, fuck off, man. No, they can cast iron there.
0: <laughs> no. Man. Yeah, I don't know these weird concepts people have got about how armchair
1: coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I it. saw it on the movies. It must be real. It's like people see stuff on Facebook and say it must be real. It's
0: it's just selling bad news. Yeah, or in, inaccurate news sometimes.
1: Most of so. the time, if you look at mainstream any mainstream media, it's all. Told from A-side. Yes. Be it left, right, east, west, yeah. fucking whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like Joe, I, I saw a short clip on YouTube of Joe Rogan saying before the elections, uh, I think it was 2016 or whatever he was watching, he was flipping between CNN and Fox News. And it was like, are these guys even fucking covering the same election? <laughs> That's how different the news was. <laughs> And I think that's been a doubtful. Yeah. yeah. And there's been a bit of, like, shit in the news about Joe Rogan and mainstream media. And it's like, you know, uh, what's it? Fuck. They are the masters of their own destiny. Yeah. They've created the animal that they're living with. The one guy's going off, oh, we've got newsrooms and fact-checkers, and he's just there winging it. Well... His audience is bigger than CNN's. Yeah. So, obviously, he's doing something right. doing something right. Um, what I like about him is he just sits down and has a conversation, and where yeah. it goes is where it goes. Where it goes is where it goes. And he, he's not there with an agenda, which is what all the mainstream media, they each got their own corporate agenda. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's not trying to push any particular narrative. He's just,
1: he's just having a conversation and being reasonable.
0: Like and if he doesn't
1: agree with something, he'll say that he doesn't agree with it. But also, he gives a voice to a lot of people who can't get into mainstream media. Yes. Which yes. I think is important, because if you can't discuss topics, how can you come to a agreement on what is fact and what isn't? Well, dude, you know,
0: ever since I started watching his podcast, my mind has broadened as to what is right and what is wrong, and, what, and not fundamentally right and wrong, mm. but... You know, my attitude towards certain
1: things has just changed. Yeah. You know, and for the better. Yeah. the 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 more you watch him, the more you realise that we know fuck all. Mm.
0: Absolutely, I I look
1: up to him, but
0: uh, he 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 what he says on his channel, I'm a chimp. I'm a chimp. Ch-
1: <laughs> yeah, but then you listen yeah. to to someone like uh, Jordan Peterson. He said, um, Joe Rogan isn't a highly educated person yeah okay you know? yeah he calls himself a meathead you know fighter. Yeah. he was a flipping good fighter yeah um, but he's intelligent yeah, he's very and intelligent. he's very knowledgeable yeah. because of of what he's been doing because of what what
0: he's been doing and he's and he's come from a hard life as well he's come from a very hard life you know he was really battling when he was in his early career as a, as a mm. comedian and for somebody like that to come from there and have one of the biggest
1: podcasts out on YouTube. I mean, he started podcasting as just a thing. He started right in the beginning when podcasts first were a thing. And I remember I had an iPad and they had this podcasting. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what the fuck it was either. And... uh He's just, he's got a good business model. Mm. And the business model is let's have a long-form conversation. Let's yeah. chat. Let's see where the fuck it goes. Yeah, exactly. And that's very much what
0: led us down the same path as well, but wanting to talk about what we want to talk about. But um, it's just that we, when we have these podcasts, we're just two mates chatting about things that we find interesting. And sometimes we inter- in, in, uh, interview people who are also in knife making or uh, other places like Good. we we don't have this is not necessarily a knife making podcast we are knife makers who have a podcast yeah
1: that's it yeah. yeah yeah and we we like to talk about all sorts of shit all sorts of things
0: that's why it's called open, Heart it's open for discussion yeah and it's around the, the fire yeah which is where we work most of the time
1: E.R. we're supposed to, Yeah, <laughs> Just sit around and fuck off.
0: <laughs> But it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have long conversations from time to time because in the world that we're living in today, we, we're so used to just information like
1: this. Yeah. Quick, 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 quick. You know, you've got TikTok videos. You've got YouTube videos. You've got, you've you've got some the world wide web, but all the information is out there. Yeah. But... I think where the internet now is ninety percent of it is bullshit or is just garbage, yeah, and to find the good information is difficult,
0: yes. yeah, and uh, I don't know, it's just like some you you find it interesting to when you start really getting into these these long term conversations you 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 start understanding how different people think you start looking at different perspectives with a broader mind, you know, it doesn't mean you have to accept it. If you fundamentally don't accept it, you don't have to accept it. But you can at least entertain it and say, okay, well, what did I learn from that? If you learn fuck all, you learn fuck all. But if you learn something, you learn something. Even if it's to be more patient with somebody
1: while they're telling you something that you're not interested in. You know? I mean... Jordan Peterson says the main reason why he does all the lectures he does and these big debates is so that he can think critically. Yes. Because yes. if you're talking to an audience and you're mm. engaging with it, so he engages with the audience, he, listen, he, yes. he picks up what vibes he's getting and he may take questions or whatever, but <clears throat> going through what's in his head and what he's written down or whatever and talking about it, gives him the opportunity to think more critically about it. Yes. So your belief system is is based on certain things that you believe yes. in. Right. But unless you can talk about it and debate, I wouldn't say argue because argue is a, a strong word, but if you can debate about it and put forth your ideas and stuff. In the process of doing that, you can interrogate your belief system. Yes. And I think it's a good thing to do it because ninety percent of what we know now is all wrong. Yeah. Because I remember when when I was in first year at university, you do phys- I did engineering, so you do physics, and science, and shit all in school, and then you get to university, and it's like uh, they were bullshitting us at school. They were just giving us little bits of information. Yeah. You know. But most of that stuff is like not entirely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. When you get to that point
0: and you start expanding your mind to different different points of view and different different wealths of knowledge and things like that, you start looking at the world very differently. Mm. And I think that's what's important because I think we're all we're all plugged into this machine where you're just a number in a cubicle mm. and it's just, you know, It's all it's, a simulation. It's its not very satisfying. No. It's, and, and that's what people are struggel- struggling with every day is that they, they have to pay bills, they have to do all these things, they have to take care of their wives, their, their children, all of that stuff, but they're doing something every day that is just soul-destroying and they feel trapped.
1: Well, it's because... I think it's because they don't see the meaning in it, and they don't they don't always approach it from the right frame of mind. So, like I, I was thinking a lot about what Grant said about uh, Kant's uh, deontology, about the the theory of doing things out of duty. Yes. So if you want to call yourself, say a husband and a father, mm. right? Yes. There's certain duties that come with that. Yes. So you have to provide for your family and Mm. you have to do your things, but if you see your job as a way of performing a duty, you don't have to like it. Mm. It's like, who likes making their bed? Nobody. Nobody. Oh, I don't know unless you like seriously OCD, but um, it's a duty. Yeah. And you are, I think it adds, it, it reflects your character. It reflects your character.
0: Yeah, um, yeah and, and I agree with that to some extent, but <clears throat> at the same time, there's just people out there who just, they've got a, you know, and it's not just that they've got a bad hand or whatever, or they're looking at things the wrong way or whatever. It's just that they, they're they just stuck in this thing. Yeah. And it's not their fault. I know exactly that feeling. Yeah, we all, we all do.
1: Because
0: and it's a, all right. it's a very, very horrible feeling because you don't feel like you're actually living. Mm. You feel like you're just existing and constantly reacting to things that are happening in your life instead of being proactive.
1: Yeah. So yeah. instead of navigating the storm, you're just fighting it. Yes. Guess. So like where I am now, I'm stuck in the nail. Yeah. And to get out of it is like, not fucking easy yeah i've been trying to do it for the last five years yeah yeah and it's just fuck all. Fuck all. yeah and i just when you think something might pan up then uh, then it doesn't oh then someone just goes and fucking okay. tanks the rails and or switches the light off at the end of the tunnel <laughs> <laughs> it's load shedding not sh- <laughs> uh, But look fucking the wheels
0: come off <laughs> Everybody's got trouble. I think we all realize everybody's got trouble. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, everybody's got trouble. And we've got to find a way, and this is what I was saying to you earlier, you've got to find a way to to be happy. You've just got to find a way to be happy because that's all that matters in the end, is if you're just unhappy, no matter how much money you've got, it doesn't matter, you've got nothing.
1: You're always going to have problems. Mm you just got to make decisions that give you better problems. Yes. yes. So if your problem is you don't have a roof over your head, that's a serious problem. Yes. Uh, but if you, you can make decisions to get rid of that problem, but it doesn't mean you're going to have no problems. You're just going to have other problems. Yes. But there'll be better problems. There'll be better problems. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, it's about perspective, but it's also about... Um, Trying to... Well, I suppose that's the definition of perspective Of seeing things differently. Um seeing things from a different angle.
1: I watched a... Uh, I saw a video just before you got here of Jordan Peterson. He says, probably your best tactic to do is to take on your responsibilities on your shoulders and your suffering and just fucking move forward.
0: Mm.
1: It may not work out every time, mm but it's your best tactic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the boat I'm in. Yeah. How oh, the fuck am I going to get through the storm? Yes. 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 Yeah. This is the hand you've been dealt. Yeah. Now try and win. And it's not going to be sunshine and roses at the end. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be different. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's just a
1: different story. But it's like uh, the myth of Sisyphus. You know? Yeah. Syphilis. Story. Yeah. I just have to imagine... <laughs> It's just it's enjoying the fact that when yeah. he gets to the top of the hill, the stone just rolls down the bottom, and he's going to start again. Yeah. So
0: yeah, that's a that's a hectic one to find pleasure
1: in, but it's it's true what you say. Well, if you look at it, he's d- man's p- pursuit for meaning. So do things that are meaningful, not that uh, provide a quick throw. Yes. Yes. Because if you if you're doing something that you don't like, but you know it's giving you meaning and it's going to get you to a point, then it's different. Yes. But if you're sitting there just, you know, treading water in a storm, then it sucks. Yeah, then
0: it does. Suck. And you don't feel good about yourself because you know you're not taking charge of your life. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're succumbing to determinism.
0: Ah, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's a good, I think that's a good note to end off on. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's been a nice long chat and uh, I'm glad we got to crack out a couple of podcasts within the last week. Week, yeah. 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 So this is the third since we're back. Yeah, so we're gonna by the time you guys have listened to this, hopefully you will have listened to Alec N- Alex Norton's uh my my interview with Alex Norton. Tim wasn't there unfortunately, but that was a great one. Really, really, very inspired by his work. Very inspired by his work. and He's a smart dude and really nice, down to down to earth, humble guy. Mm. And uh, and then also by by this by the time you guys have listened to this, we will have yeah, no, had a philosopher, our philosopher Grant. Yes, Grant. We've had we had him on yesterday.
1: No, uh, no that Friday. was on Friday, sorry. Friday. Friday. Yeah, today's Sunday. Yeah, today's Sunday. Yeah. So it's it's always nice having grants on because you can come with these weird theories and then he can tell you why they're wrong. Yes, yes. And he can he can give you the the arguments against it and then you can go back and you can sit and think and reflect yes, about it. Yes, yes. And then you come to realise that, like I said, ninety percent of what we know now is wrong. Yeah. We're all in a simulation. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a good cut off line there. Yeah. And uh, thanks for joining, guys. Appreciate it. We will see you guys on the next episode.
1: Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Open Hearth Find us on
0: Instagram at Open Hearth and we'll see you again real soon.